Welcome to the Internet History Podcast. I'm your host, Brian McCullough. Corel Bologna was the first senior software engineer hired at Facebook in 2005, when it was still technically the Facebook. This was after the Excel round of funding, when Facebook truly began to staff up and grow up. Bologna was only at Facebook for a year, from 2005 to 2006, but he can provide us with some absolutely amazing insights about the company at this very early stage. What was Facebook's culture like in 2005? What were the key innovations made then that ultimately let Facebook succeed where others failed? Would Mark Zuckerberg make a good president of the United States? And what became of Pokey, the mascot Facebook once considered launching? We reference a book that Ballone wrote in 2007 called Inside Facebook, Life, Work, and Visions of Greatness. The Amazon link for that book is in the show notes. So please enjoy this truly remarkable conversation with Corel Ballone. Corel Ballone, thanks for coming on the Internet History Podcast. Hi, Brian. Thanks for having me. Uh, I want to uh, I want to get a little bit of a background before we jump into Facebook. Um, looking at your your CV, I see that you worked at a, a GeoWorks, which I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of super interested in because I mean you know Piero Midyar, Tony Fidel, Andy Rubin, a bunch of people um, did time at GeoWorks as it were. Uh, what did you do at GeoWorks? I see. This is the Internet History Podcast. It, it is indeed, sir. <laughs> And I did not know that those people are at GeoWorks. I, I worked uh, with the old Nokia 8000, which mm-hmm. was like the first, uh, I guess, semi-smartphone that had a keypad. Mm-hmm. And we were uh, enabling advertising using a Java, browser, using a Java servlet uh, and some sort of back-end API. Starbucks was one of the early advertisers. So this is, this is mobile ads in, in what year? Gee, uh, I was there in 95. Wow, that is super early stuff. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I was still on a Spark 5. Wow. My so, workstation was a Spark workstation. <laughs> How many years were you at GeoWorks? About a year, maybe a little more. Um, so did you, uh, you said you didn't know all those guys were there. Did you cross paths with uh, Pierre Omidyar at all? I don't know. I don't know when he was there. Okay. But I do know that I installed a Geos OS over my uh, Windows laptop, which was kind of fun. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Um, I... Geos OS was an operating system, a Windows, fully Windows uh, equivalent operating system. Uh, well, I've been saying for a long time now I need to do a separate episode about all those pen-based computer companies that that were around in the 90s that uh, were just ahead of their time, I suppose. Um so yeah. that uh, the next step that uh, for for internet history purposes, you spend six years at Look Smart. I guess starting in the late nineties. Yeah. yeah, and um, it was one of the four one of the four people competing with Google uh, over internet search. Well, so first of all, um, you know I've I've done a lot. I've talked to a lot of Google people, and we've talked about um, you know how when Google enters, there's this whole uh, ecosystem of of search engines existing, and and so why who needs another one? Um, 
and look smart was one of the biggest ones of those so you're there around like the the height of the 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 bubble era like um you know when look smart yeah, is a... and before it i was there right when they entered the u.s because they were an australian company mm-hmm. and they were partnering with msn uh which was at that time one maybe with aol the largest sort of online community and uh so they they won the the like the official online search and directory partner for the Sydney Olympics. Was that 96? Hmm. Um, no, that would have been Atlanta. So whatever came, 2000 maybe? Yeah, I guess it was 2000 and this was sort of in preparation for it. Mm-hmm. But it seems like, well, um, and again, I don't remember what year this would have been, but it was before the, the bubble burst, maybe 98. Anyway, um, we were bigger than Google at that time. LookSmart was, and one of the at one of the all hands meetings, an open question for uh, one of the SVPs. It wasn't the CEO. Anyway, the question was, why don't we buy Google? Hmm. And the answer was, oh, that would dilute us too much. That would be a highly dilutive uh, effort or something. <laughs> <laughs> Well, right. So it was not clear who was going to win at the time. And I'm sure at the time that he's saying that, look, smart stock is is probably stratospheric. So who needs yeah. to buy this yeah. underling? Yeah. Um, so what are you working on uh, at Look Smart uh, generally? I mean, you're there for six years. I'm sure it was a bunch of things. Yeah. So um, Perl was a big language at the time. Mm-hmm. P E R L mm-hmm. for anybody who wants to look it up. <laughs> 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 but. Uh, that, that was an example of a language that failed to evolve. You know, uh, object-oriented programming came, and it became, well, you know, people were trying to convert a lot of Perl spaghetti code into objects, and uh, while, uh, you know, a version of that came along that made it possible, it was never attractive. And it, it was uh, sort of a real uh, expert endeavor to both code and understand such code. So uh, we moved to PHP. Uh, I did a Skunk Works project at LookSmart that took uh, some, uh, it was actually their articles code. They also had the largest uh, directory of online articles. That's findarticles.com, right? That's right. That's right. So I took that entire front end and I converted it to uh, PHP. And that was still running like 10 years later. you know, even though LookSmart was, I guess they're still alive. Uh, but because I took it to PHP, that enabled me to to look credible when I got my Facebook interview. Right. So they were on PHP, and there weren't that many people who were doing it. So it's the PSP uh, expertise. I'm sure it, it also looked good to them that that you're at LookSmart, and and so you, you've been at a big company. But so so yeah. to, to start the story, um, in a, in April of 2005, I guess you get a, a LinkedIn message from from Matt Kohler. That's right. Yeah, because I had been networking on LinkedIn just for fun. It was kind of it so, was the only sort of social experience available online at the time. And, and so he found you. You were you aware of of Facebook? Not at all. So he, yep. um, he what's he brings you in for an interview? What's the interview process like? No, Kohler did not bring me in for an ah. interview. He like vetted me because 
I mean, I, I guess looking back, I was probably one of the more active PHP coders on uh, LinkedIn, mm-hmm. and I had my 500 connections, which was the most they would show. So I guess as far as you could see, you know, I'm I'm look smart and I look credible. So he was just screening candidates for Zuckerberg. So he lined me up and uh, I met uh, Zuckerberg directly at a, at a non-incurry in Berkeley. Hmm. And I, I read in your book uh, that uh, you, you, you thought at first that you, you failed the interview with Zuckerberg um, because you, you, you go ahead and tell me that story. Oh, just that, uh, you know, I, I wasn't confident. I, I wasn't doing that great. I was, uh, he asked, I think, pretty pretty good questions, you know, as far as how would you code this or that. And I felt like I was stammering a little bit. To, to step back, what, what made me nervous was, first of all, I'd never done an interview in a restaurant, and I didn't have a whiteboard. <laughs> but uh, also, I kind of did not know even what Zuckerberg would look like, or I did not know the site that we were talking about. Mm. You know, uh, well, because, the day before, because at that point, it's, you you would need a, a, an edu email address to get in, right? So you yeah. can't really, yeah, you can't research it really. Yeah, I did not have an edu email address, and also um, you needed to be at one of the twelve or something that were on the site. Right. So Matt Kohler, to help me prepare, gave me like I don't know if it was his cousin who went to like. Uh, to I guess maybe Cornell and he um, just sort of gave me the URL for this and I typed it in so I could get a static view of the profile page of his cousin. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't even think that was a public page at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you had to sort of, it wasn't well secured so probably I had to enter the whole URL. I'm not sure. But anyway, I also realized I did not know what Zuckerberg looked like mm. when he was coming to the restaurant. So I was like, is that him? Is that him? You know, I'm 30, I'm 30 something and just 18 year old, you know, for my interview. And the, the good thing about the interview, though, was he was very fair and he wanted to, uh, you know, make progress. So he asked me if I wanted another question. And I, I probably could have gambled and thought maybe I, maybe I answered good enough and there you know, eager to hire anyway, but I just said, yeah, sure. Give me another one. And I was, so I was excited. I wanted to do better. And that was the right attitude. And I did better on that one. And that got me in. I was going to say, assuming <laughs> we assume you did better on the, on the second round. Um, yeah. So, so you mentioned I also had a master's in social psych, which I think helped. Right. Because he, he was at least a, a majoring in psych before he, before he dropped out. No, I think he was in CS, wasn't he? He was in both. Um, oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> people, people actually don't know that he, he, he. Anyway, this is your story. Yeah. Um. So okay, uh, you mentioned so this is uh, April May two thousand five. You mentioned that you're uh, mid thirties at this point. Um. So early thirties. Early thirties. Okay, but that's still what a decade, <laughs> a decade older than than the the coworkers yeah. you're joining. Yeah, I mean. He couldn't drink to celebrate his VC funding, mm-hmm. and uh, I was the only guy with kids at the company. <laughs> right. So if if Matt Kohler hires you, that means that this is after the Excel round of of funding. So um, right after. Right after. Okay. So is that are you sort of brought in as like okay, this is the first round of like you know senior professional software engineers? Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, 
interested. Um, there was a lot of infrastructure that still needed happening. Like I, I put in source control. Uh, there were uh, we created a deployment process over the first month. Just things that you know an accident wouldn't bring the site down. What's the um, so this is what office is this? Is this the one that's on uh, Emerson Street or on University? This was on Emerson. We were above a Chinese restaurant. Right. So that's the one with all all the graffiti on the walls and things like that. Yeah. So what what's your just generally what's your impression? Let's say you know uh, first day you show up to work, um, you know what's the culture like? What do, what, what do you feel like the organization is like? Um. Well, I also want to step back and say one other thing. Why did I take this job? Right. Because but, I was but... working for an 18-year-old, and uh, it felt very unusual. Like, it, it, I don't. Th- I think a lot of people in my situation would not have taken that jump because it did not appear professional. Mm. And um, there was, you know, I had my own network of people that I sort of talked to about this company, and. It was a mixed bag, you know. Uh, it wasn't clear that that this would become anything. In fact, it wasn't clear even in like 2008 or 9 that they would win big. Mm. Uh, I believed it, but not most people. Uh, so, but what was really unique about it was the level of excitement and the level of connection and the speed of iteration. So, uh, they knew exactly who they were serving, and they had a lot of very rapid ideas for how to do it better. You know, like Newsfeed wasn't there yet, but they, they were very aware of how people were traversing the site and what features being used and what weren't. And we would do deployments, you know, whenever. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, literally, you just push a button and it's on the site. And that was extremely powerful because, you know, one engineer is pushing out code to a million users, you know, so, and you could see them like actively using the new code because we, we, they, they were very aware of the metrics and they had internal dashboards already. So uh, it was kind of intoxicating. I uh, gave two weeks notice and I spent every day, every evening in the look smart office you know, I'd go to the day job, then I'd drive down to Palo Alto, and I would stay in the office most of the night, because even before I was uh, supposed to start, it was so exciting. So, um, yeah, the, uh, the atmosphere was very amateur, but in a good way, like... Um, not sure what we're doing, but open to learn and just so super excited to all be here doing this. Uh, I've never, I'd never been in such an environment. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned things like, um, you know, like code reviews when you start aren't, aren't even like <laughs> they're sort not of an... code reviews, code deployments. Okay. Okay. But, <laughs> but like in your book, you say th- like there's, there's not a lot of meetings. Like I'm getting into this idea that, that things aren't very professional, but then at the same time you feel empowered because it's almost yeah. like if something needs done, okay, let's just do it. Right. Yeah. And, and so that's, yeah. that's sort of, do, do you feel like that that was, um, um, a, a, 
a product of, of their age and inexperience that, you know, they haven't, it hasn't been beaten into their heads, you know, working five years at a different company or something that this is how you do things like that. That was just the freedom of, we don't know what we shouldn't be doing. They got one really good uh, engineer from Oracle because he was working on a product that wasn't going to be released for two or three years. Mm. Uh, so no, they had it right. They mm. were working at internet speed and everybody mm-hmm. else uh, was being ineffective. Um, so you're brought in, uh, uh, like we said, with this first sort of round of uh, we're, we're bringing in, we're professionalizing, we're bringing in a bunch of engineers. Like um, you're hired along with, with Steve Chen and, and Scott. Um, yeah. How long, is Steve, how long is Steve there before he leaves to do YouTube? Not long at all. So you barely got... I mean, it was an interesting choice for him. Uh, no, we, uh, he, I, and Zuckerberg and Moskowitz were sitting at one four-person table, and that was for about a week. And it was really a tough decision for him because he was excited about Facebook as well. But, uh, you know, uh, he had this, this other idea. And uh, I, I just think it's amazing that right there next to Stanford... You know, yeah, uh, Google had been in the same building that Facebook took on university. Just the amount of entrepreneurial energy, right? Um, mm-hmm. the, the idea that you could take an idea like YouTube and, and make it better than, than Facebook, which is your other opportunity, right? Which is serving millions of people. Mm-hmm. It's uh, just the audacity of it. Um, it's yeah, yeah, still yeah. overwhelming to me. Still overwhelming to me. I mean, where else? Yeah. Well, I I want to uh, get into a, a little bit of the the nuts and bolts of of the system as it exists at this time. So all this is still when they're uh, you go college by college. So each network is localized on on a specific campus. I read that also each. Uh, the servers are separated by colleges, right? So that, um, so like you, you, you do, you do something new, you, you, you launch it on the Harvard site and then you propagate it onto the other servers. Is that how it was structured? Um, no, I believe just the databases were separated. Okay. I think the, I mean, you could put in a hook to launch for a subset of the audience and they still do that. You know, they still have something called gatekeeper, which, uh, trials out new features uh, on uh, slices of the audience so they they know um, whether the feature will be more widely used or whether it has bugs. So, uh, but no, it was a single web tier. Hmm. And is, um, is Wirehog still going on at this point when you join or was that a project that had already, uh, it, they dropped? Um, I don't think I'm going to comment on that. Okay. Okay. Uh, so let's talk about, um, uh, Dustin Moskovitz a little bit. So he's, he's, he's still basically, he's the guru of everything, right? He's, he's still running, uh, most of the development at this point. Did you say Moskowitz? Yes. Yeah. So he's a super smart guy and I think he's also along with Zuckerberg, a true mensch. You know, mm-hmm. both of them really uh, care about people. And, I mean, you look at Moskowitz's Asana project now, right? It's really 
meant to make a difference in people's work lives, make them more productive, make mm-hmm. them enjoy work communications more than email. You know, both of them look at projects uh, which uh, make a tangible difference on people's lives. And um, he, I, I, he's a smart technical guy, but uh, he was more of a technical operations where uh, he knew every bit of code that had been written, as far as I could tell, because, uh, you know, I mean, Zuckerberg was doing all this other stuff and they were doing it together. Everybody was working on everything. So, and the code base was still pretty small. But, uh, you know, to call him a guru at that time, he was uh, learning as, as we go along. And it was amazing how much he learned, how quickly, as far as internet technology, he, he wasn't a CS guy. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'd say he was a brilliant learner. Mm. And both him and Zuckerberg were humble about recognizing what they know and don't know mm-hmm. and getting the, right, getting, getting the right people in the room. Like um, Jeff Rothschild, mm. uh, J-Row, was an amazing guy early in the company because we were reaching hardware limits very soon. And uh, you know, I could tell when an aspect of the software layer wasn't cooperating and you know, we tried different versions of PHP, uh, but you know, what do you do when you you just hit the bandwidth limit on the actual physical uh, cable? You know, <laughs> uh, I'll be saying, no, no, the software really does have more throughput than this. It's, it's there's no there's no limit like this. We we've tried this configuration. Oh yeah, you just need you just need three times as much physical wire. You know, or the 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 right speed on the disc, just, you're not, you know, <laughs> you need a photon array. <laughs> and uh, we had no idea about these. Or I had, you know, I think operations had always been a distinct thing from software engineering. And, uh, you know, they knew to hire Jeff Rothschild, who uh, just was a, te- or is probably still a technical genius as far as uh, understanding how to the deepest level things work and and more and more people like that were coming in who were truly the like scott marlett you know a a master's in computer science and he he and uh doug hirsch built the photos feature really really well Mm -hmm. um at a level of professionalism that you know the the rest of the company took on it was a key initial like super high quality project so uh not 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 to take anything away from Dustin, who was super smart, but uh, it was just a different level of professionalism. In fact, above my own level. Uh, can we go into the, the photos um, project uh, briefly? That was, in various accounts, that that was a big sort of aha moment because when you guys add the tagging and then something like within yeah. a month, like three quarters of users have tagged people in photos and things like that. Just tell me what you remember about that project and, and maybe the uptake and that sort of thing? Well, it was uh, cleverly designed and iterated. Uh, it was always meant to be a social feature, people uh, sharing photos. Uh, there wasn't a good way to do that online. But um, you wanted to send a notification to, to other people to join Facebook and to, to look at the photo. So tagging was 
a natural innovation in that it was a reason to message people and to, to you know, growth was always a key priority for Zuckerberg, even now, but always was. So, you know, he would love features that brought people onto the site and, uh, you know, tagging is, it, it's, it's, Facebook is always about emulating real world behaviors like poke was a really lightweight message. Mm -hmm. uh, it's something you would do. Uh, and tagging, you know, it's something you would do. You'd show a friend a photo if you could. And it was amazing how rapidly it took off because um, it was a real need. But uh, Facebook tried dozens of things every week like that that didn't take off. So uh, if you mine enough, you're going to hit gold. And that was the brilliance of the fast prototyping. Well, and because they're, they are, or you are, you guys are always obsessed with, with watching the user behavior. So you can see in real uh -huh. time, okay, this has got an uptake, that hasn't, that, that sort of thing. Like that, that, is that yeah. the key driver for all of the product decisions? That and a real respect for the user. Like uh, people might do things like click on link bait that isn't good for them. Mm. Uh, so, um, so, so you, you want to, you, you definitely respond to the true user activity, but you need to understand why they're doing it. Like they might be doing more clicks just cause they're lost. They might be doing rapid clicks because they're trying everything or, uh, you know, they might be using this convoluted flow because they can't find the easier one. So you're just honestly trying to help the users do better. So an example of that, you know, Microsoft's doing a lot better, I think, than they were 10 years ago mm -hmm. or under Balmer. But look what just happened with our attempt to use Skype this morning. <laughs> I literally spent 45 minutes trying to reactivate my Skype account, yeah. merging two different accounts. They got confused because they, they couldn't tell whether I had once authenticated with Facebook. They made me change um, both my Skype password and my Microsoft Live password. And then they got confused between the two. I don't know. Was there some <laughs> delay on the update? Yeah. And I still, I could log into my web Skype, but I couldn't log into my OS client Skype. Even after I up, up, updated to the newest, uh, you know, native client. So that is, uh, and it all looked nice, but it was a lack of respect for, for your users. And Facebook, who, who actually, you know, Zuckerberg rejected calling them users. He now does, you know, community members or, uh, you know, our community. But users was a taboo word uh, because, you know, they're not addicts. They're people. Mm -hmm. uh, you would use, you know, our community, our people. Um, but a true respect for what makes their lives better. Um, and just to give a current modern counterexample to that, I find the snap streaks feature totally abusive. Mm. I mean, people love it. They use it all the time. You know, all the kids have lots of streaks with all their friends, and that's why they message them daily, because they don't want to lose the streak, and it's wonderful for snap's uh, engagement metrics. But I just find that, like, it's not good for people. 
they don't like have a real conversation. They just send the same snap to 20 people really quickly to get through their streaks. Facebook will, I say, it, will never implement a streaks-like feature because they're looking out for the best interests of their community. Could you uh, talk briefly about Zuckerberg as a manager? And I'm talking about at this time, because remember, you're early yeah. 30s, he's 1920, whatever. What was it like to yeah. work with him? Amazing. Best leader I've ever met. Hmm. Uh, he... Um, asked all the right questions. He uh, delegated. He got himself out of coding, even though that's what he loved to do. He had coaching. His speaking was getting better every couple of months, you know, to the team and publicly. You could tell, right? He was becoming sort of a more professional uh, PR person, but at the same time, he was authentic. Hmm. And uh, anybody who would meet him at this time would feel that he had your best interest in heart. You know, the community felt that, the investors felt that, the employees felt that, uh, and he was. The only reason he IPO'd was to uh, take care of his initial employees and, and investors. Uh, and uh, you, you said, I think, in your book, you the said, reason the site was popular was uh-huh. because he really listened to and cared for the, the, the users. Go ahead. Well, you said in the book that you felt like Zuckerberg never ex- showed very much self-doubt, that, that if some idea failed, it really didn't phase him. He'd just plow his energy into the next one and the next one and the next one? Yeah, just fail fast. Mm-hmm. That was an innovation in engineering. Move fast and break things. Mm-hmm. Uh. This is around the time, 2005 into 2006, that everyone in the world is coming to try to either acquire Facebook or partner with Facebook or whatever. Yeah. Um, did you personally ever feel like maybe Mark would sell, sort of do a, a YouTube? Did you ever feel like it was close to something like that? So um, Mark really respected his uh, mentors, people like uh, Graham from the Washington Post mm-hmm. and people like Andreessen. And, uh, of course, Peter Thiel. Um, and I think everybody had different uh, perspectives on an acquisition. And he was respectful to, to hear all of them. He wanted to make the right decision for everybody. Uh, there were a couple of things going on. He, he believed that he would never have as good an idea as Facebook in his life. That this was going to be his life. He knew that very early. Uh, so if he sold out, you know, he felt... Uh, there isn't a bigger idea than this that's available to me, which is a, a pretty cool thing to, to recognize. Mm-hmm. He knew that the people graph was more important than Google's uh, internet graph because representing real relationships didn't exist. It's very hard. And what's more important, knowing how people interact or how web pages interact, you know, mm-hmm. which is a, an amazing insight for an 18-year-old, right? Yeah. Uh, the other thing that was going on was he was being strongly advised to sell. I don't know by who, but uh, that time no young founder had made it. Sergey Brin and Larry Page were older, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they had brought in adult supervision, right? Um, so 
But right now, you look at somebody like Evan Spiegel, right. and it's credible to him and his investors that he would succeed, even though he really never has before. It's, or I, I, I think I think Travis Kavalnik also opened up the path for for other people this way, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but for Zuckerberg, it wasn't luck at all. It was a real focus on your users and a real acknowledgement of your limits. Like that idea that um, Facebook is about connecting the world. Well, it was consistent for 10 years, right? And uh, a lot of things didn't confuse him because he kept on uh, a simple, consistent vision. Uh, Like the platform, the, the big platform launch was all about empowering entrepreneurs and uh, making Facebook as a platform useful to to everybody for growth, right? Through Mm -hmm. games. Mm -hmm. Uh, It wasn't making any money, (laughs) right? The platform itself. Uh, It wasn't an obvious move, but uh, like today, Snapchat isn't really succeeding as a platform company, even though that path has been, uh, highlighted for them by so many other people. Uh, I think Zuckerberg just made tremendously good decisions early and consistently. So he is a unique, unique, uh, sort of success talent. Well, you know, in Silicon Valley. something that, that people forget about also, and again, in the context of 2005, 2006, um, MySpace is the big 800-pound gorilla. In, yeah, in, that's so, right. So, so what was what? What did you guys feel about about MySpace as as competition at Facebook? Uh, the leadership was always very aware of competition, and the way to uh, beat them is to provide a better product and naturally win over their users by you know not excessively advertising and by having a really fast snappy site and by always introducing features like photo tagging which are cool and innovative that's why it's always important to change the site uh you know myspace uh got stuck for a while and uh they stopped being cool uh well before they stopped working at the time that he was offered a billion by yahoo i believe myspace was about four times as big 80 20 mm-hmm. bigger than Facebook. Um, and on, also at that time, the high school initiative that Facebook kicked off was not doing great. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was under underperforming expectations. Uh, so I think it was a real ballsy move by him to, to decline. But I think what he saw was uh, Yahoo is not, I don't know if it was already obvious at the time from prior acquisitions, but there was not a single example of where Yahoo acquired a company and it continued to thrive or got, got bigger. Mm-hmm. There was never a YouTube acquired by Google kind of example. And he wasn't going to let anybody, anybody, uh, you know, kill Facebook, kill this great idea. So that's interesting that you say that uh... it wasn't about greed. Right. Also, he wasn't greedy. He could have had, you know, his own fuck you money, but no, right. Right. <laughs> he was after the idea. No, I think that that's. And helping people. I think that that's key that you're highlighting his his guts there because, 
especially if you're saying things like you know the 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 high school rollout sort of unper, underperformed and and so maybe well maybe you should take this deal mark you know uh, it's it, is there what i'm getting at is at the time how much of a sense was there that oh we can roll facebook beyond colleges because if you can't then maybe yeah. it, it makes sense to take a billion dollar deal but at the time 2005 2006 is there a sense is there a belief maybe is the better word that no this everybody will want to use this at some point Zuckerberg would rather have tried that and failed multiple times than take a billion dollars because you know you're not going to connect the world if you're just at the colleges but it was there was no indication that everybody wanted to be on Facebook or that it would ever become the case. So just how different the internet was back then. I had a trio in the Facebook office, mm -hmm. which was like one of the early camera phones. Right. Palm. I never once took a fucking picture <laughs> of the Facebook office or of my, you know, coworkers. I had a, a, a picture phone. I had the photos website onto which to upload things on <laughs> Facebook, right? Yeah. But I was working on a different project. <laughs> and it wasn't a natural use case, certainly from my generation. Right. And even, you know, the people who were doing photo tagging were innovating. They were taking photos and putting them on the line. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and uh, they were inventing all these reasons why people would want to be on Facebook and Friendster died because it was uh, didn't perform and it was slow and it had the wrong community. So I think Facebook was always very aware that they needed to be, um, they need to have a more responsive, more usable website than MySpace, but also that uh, they'd get one chance really to become well-known. Mm -hmm. So, they intentionally stayed small until they had a product that was really going to be widely used and photos were part of that. But um, I believe that they also felt that, that, that browsing people's profile at that time, the, the major site activity was uh, there were various links that led to profiles and then content on those profiles. Mm -hmm. So, there was no news feed, so the only way you could find out what your friends were doing was by visiting their pages. There were a lot of profile views, mm -hmm. which was also where the apps would install. And then you'd click off of something on that person's profile to go to a different profile. That was not really efficient. So I think having a news feed that was interesting was a key part of being able to publicly uh, roll out beyond colleges. Well, I think you I think you leave before that does roll out. But do you remember that idea sort of percolating the genesis of, of definitely? The yeah, because you you everybody wants a personal newspaper. That is a broad public need, right? I've said before that that's almost something that from the very beginning of the web people have been trying to crack. You know, only only things yeah. that interest you, yeah. So you can't underestimate how difficult a feature that was. Mm. From from a now, te you technical know, perspective, everywhere. Technically, right. yes. Yeah. And the great thing about Facebook was, you know, from from using the Open Compute project and tons of open source, both give and take with the open source community, uh, Facebook is a super 
technology company and always has been. MySpace didn't want to create their own ad server. <laughs> you know, uh, they were going to vendor for everything because mm-hmm. they were a media company. But Facebook is a technology company, a communications platform. They're the phone, you know, and they have to work really well. I think if it wasn't for Facebook, we wouldn't have free uh, voice over IP mm. uh, voice chat and free video chat. And, you know, people have to keep up with Facebook because Facebook will make everything free. Uh, but just the difficulty of having video chat all over the world on every single kind of phone. So difficult. Mm-hmm. And newsfeed was the first really difficult thing that they did. True innovation. Well, uh, this is this is sort of a sideline, but something that I noticed in your book that I hadn't heard anywhere else is there was a dis- discussion at one point about a Facebook mascot called Pokey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is there a story behind that? It was a hedgehog. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, everybody, everybody has, has their uh, cute little uh, icon or mascot and Facebook had the Al Pacino face. Um, right. And then later it became just an F. But I think there was some thought of, of for marketing purposes, being cute. And uh, Matt Kohler really liked Pokey the Hedgehog, and they, they which would have been a, an interesting idea, but Poke was never the key feature of the site. Right. So they, they sketched it up and everything, and, and were considering launching it? I, I wasn't in marketing. It was just kind of a funny idea. Uh-huh. So I don't know how serious it became. <laughs> well, that would that would have been interesting if we had Pokey running around cute. the year. Yeah. <laughs> Oh but, oh, but you know, it's a it's an interesting story. The relaunch of Poke failed, right? As a as an actual standalone app on mm-hmm. iOS, mm-hmm. and they do they've launched dozens of about a dozen apps that have failed, and they call them learning experiences, and they fold the, the actually the used parts of the uh, user interaction into their main apps uh, once they've sort of vetted them and vetted the technology, right? So these are, are alpha attempts. They're basically large-scale uh, uh, use case runs where they're just trying to see if, if the app is going to work and if the technology is going to hold up. Uh, but I think I think it was kind of sad that Poke didn't make it as a standalone app because it was kind of fun. So as I mentioned, you're... I didn't feel that way about the other apps. This one had a history with the company, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's core DNA almost. Um, yeah. So, like I mentioned earlier, you were you were only there for about a year, um, but then you yeah. uh, you spent several years after that. After they do open up the API, um, are you the founder that uh, of of your next company? Uh, you were making Facebook apps, essentially, right? Yeah. So I had been uh, with large companies for well over 10 years in Silicon Valley. And uh, this was the first time I had ever seen an amazing entrepreneurial, you know, uh, success. And also the platform they were launching was clearly going to be huge. There was never a way before the Facebook platform that you could launch something and have tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands of people using it Mm -hmm. in a, in a day or two. And I thought this was going to be huge, so I decided, yeah, it was time for me to to do my own entrepreneurial thing, which in retrospect was a career-limiting move. 
but uh, was true to what I was feeling at the time. And I think is uh, actually a testament to uh, the effect that Facebook and the app concept had on individual developers. At that time, you know, uh, since it's a history podcast, everything was controlled by big companies. There was no way an individual, at that time, individual developers were lucky to like launch some Windows application that would possibly be downloaded, but people were still buying actual like DVDs and floppy disks in stores for their apps. The idea of a download and then update through the through downloads or and get paid through some electronic medium paypal hadn't been invented right <laughs> or it was just about being invented yeah how would you even collect money for an online app actually you know uh, sorry paypal was already pretty widely distributed at that time but um still it's the paradigm that shift idea from that, a shrink-wrapped yeah. box, you know, that you buy at a store to a platform where people just get it. Yeah, and that an individual developer or a team of three or four people could create a whole app and sell it. Uh, stunning. And we should point out that, that Facebook is uh, uh, laying that groundwork slightly before even the, the App Store on iOS launches. Yes, they are enabling it. Uh, the, the whole app idea on iOS was from this Facebook platform idea that a, you know an app could be very lightweight. It's an app, not an application. Not a program, yeah. Yeah. Well, every before then, you'd have Windows applications. Mm -hmm. They were never called apps. <laughs> right. But this lightweight thing was also like a sort of concept innovation by Facebook. How, how robust a platform could you make that a developer would be able to launch an app in a day or two? I launched my first Facebook app overnight. Mm -hmm. It was called I Am Green, and I, had, I was watching the user count. I had tens of thousands of people joining immediately. I was like, this is impossible. Well, right. It's, you know, a couple so, months later, I had VC funding. <laughs> right, because see, so the, the one side of it is is it's a platform that's easy to develop, but the key component is you have the access to that scale instantaneously. Yes, unheard of. What else would you do? Email users one by one? Right. <laughs> it was unheard of, which is uh, great, great for the internet. Um. So a, f a few quick questions to, to wrap up with here. Um, I, it's often difficult, but I ask people to put themselves back in the mindset of the time period we're talking about. If I had yeah. told you in 2006 that Facebook would have 2 billion uh, users and you know my, my grandmother would be on Facebook, would you have believed yeah. me? In 2006, right around the time I was leaving right. Facebook. exactly. Uh, they had not launched public yet. Um, the highest estimates for the eventual value of the company that even like the most bullish people were making was a hundred billion, mm -hmm. which uh, was, I want to say like maybe half of what Google was worth then. Uh, mm -hmm. or, you know, at that time, I think General Electric was the most valuable company around 400 billion. So these were impossible numbers. The thing that you see with uh, internet stocks right now, you know, uh, Facebook, Amazon, even Netflix, 
was in no way foreshadowed or inevitable. It was only because so much value has been created for users over the last 10 years. Uh, so what I have imagined is they'd have 2 billion people. Zuckerberg knew all along that he's connecting the world mm-hmm. from 2006. He was going to find a way to get everybody connected. This was going to be the phone. This was going to Phones are terrible, aren't they? <laughs> like I still can't figure out how to get people to stop spamming my cell phone. Mm-hmm. And voicemail? You know, like finally they put in text translation. I mean, uh, sorry, uh, the, the transcription on iOS. It's right, still not right, very good. Right. But what is this phone thing that's in my smartphone? <laughs> right? I mean, Facebook Messenger is so much better. And so is FaceTime, which was really a, res- a preemption or even a response to, uh, to what Facebook was certainly doing. You know, the... Apple has to have an ecosystem that's better than Facebook. Otherwise, they get WeChatted, mm-hmm. uh, where Apple is no, no longer a, a, the best smartphone in China because the app store doesn't matter. Everybody using WeChat for everything. They can't have that happen with Facebook, which is why they supported Twitter early, uh, which is why they limit Facebook's ability to integrate with iOS mm-hmm. uh, st- strategically. Uh, so Zuckerberg knew he was connecting everybody, but it was not obviously clear that the platforms would let him or that people would want to use Facebook or that he could continue to adapt. Like at one time it was all pages. Another time it was all news stories around the election time. Right. But he always comes back to this idea of real friend interaction. And now he's layering on groups and you see there's a lot of, Uh, core group promotion happening. So what's amazing is how well he adapts to what his users need and keeps the site fresh and interesting so more people want to join. The other great thing he does is segment his user base. So uh, when Google Plus launched, everything I got was spam invitations from India. Mm -hmm. You know, I still get some of that in Facebook, but it's it's not intrusive. It's properly positioned to my interest level. If it's you know somebody who I have 20 mutual friends with, it'll come up, but it doesn't interfere with my day-to-day. And Facebook is constantly uh, putting new things into my feed that might be interesting to me. That's how events will come in slowly, right? Yeah. I'll find a few good events from me. I'll be like, hey, this events thing. This, I wonder if there are any other events I should discover. And they're doing it with uh, local places, right? Now I'm, I get a notification when um, my friend does a review of something that's really positive around me. So they're super smart with figuring out how they can really add value to people. And I believe that they will get progressively everybody. Uh, and then there's the question of whether they will be a monopoly. Um, you know, I have some friends who have very strong opinions that Facebook should, should be sort of an open graph. Uh, that something like diaspora should take off, mm-hmm. but it never will. Uh, is it dangerous that Facebook is the only owner of the social graph? Not as long as Zuckerberg's in charge. And, you know, looking down 20 years later, I think it's still very possible that another big company will come come and compete with them. Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's an unsustainable, it's, it's not a monopoly that you can sustain the same Microsoft 
did on devices or that Apple could have become if Android hadn't launched. Uh, Facebook only stays relevant, just like MySpace only stayed relevant if they continue to serve their users well, mm-hmm. which is why you get like so much free stuff in Messenger and WhatsApp, right? Yeah. They, they recognize they have to remain very, very uh, valuable to, to users for them to stick around. Well, you made me think of almost the inverse question, though. Um, from, from today's perspective, when you, when you see Mark Zuckerberg, um, now this titan of industry, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, do you still recognize the, the, the 20-year-old um, from, from 2005? I'd say he's the most humble titan of industry I've ever seen and one who plans to give away 99% of his wealth. Mm-hmm. You know, to everybody who's, who's using Facebook, they're actually like creating a huge bucket of money that's going to go to um, curing all diseases, right? <laughs> uh, and the one thing that's never changed about him is, uh, is his love for people and uh, that a human being's value on this planet depends on how much they serve. And he's so grateful he can serve his community and do this together with them. Uh, the part that's changed is he's learned how to do that better. Uh, Larry Page was never an effective uh, spokesperson for Google Plus, but very slowly, you know, through his 50-state tour, Mark Zuckerberg is becoming an asset uh, the public face of Facebook. Um, and that is almost unthinkable 20 years ago when he was very shy. He was mm-hmm. a, really a geek, a, re- a real technologist, you know? Mm-hmm. But he realized that he's the best person to do this, uh, that he's an authentic voice. And especially millennials, no bullshit from authenticity. Mm-hmm. So, so you can tell I really want him to do well because I, I respect his values. Do you, do you want him as uh, president of the United States? <laughs> he'd be an amazing president uh-huh. because, because he'd really be looking at his new constituency. <laughs> <laughs> Obama said that he was always uh, a president for all Americans, you know, and he uh, he, he tried. He uh-huh. tried to, to, to do what was best for the majority of Americans, and he was really trapped by the limits of his own power. And I think Zuckerberg would face the same frustration. Being CEO of Facebook arguably has as much influence, I think, as being the single, not the whole government of the United States, right. but just the presidency. I think it's pretty circumscribed in, in what you can do. So I'm not sure Zuckerberg wants the job. I think he'd be a great asset for the company with, or for the country with his values. But uh, I think he's going to be busy for at least another 10 years because we got, we got virtual reality coming where he's mm-hmm. making a real play to own the platform. He's only halfway done connecting the world and he's not into China yet. Uh, which is really important for him, I think, because, uh, you know, you look at Taiwan and you look at China. I don't, I'm not an expert, mm-hmm. but I think Taiwan's a pretty open country. And you look at what's happening with Hong Kong and so they're losing that. I think I, I do very much respect what the Chinese uh, government has done economically and scientifically. Uh, it's a, the, the, the current leadership generation is all very engineering heavy effective technocracy but uh i think that i think zuckerberg would like to see them more open and people being able to express themselves 
and freely associate without being worried. And I, I think you could get WhatsApp blocked in China, the the end-to-end encryption. You know, yeah. it's a shame. Yeah. I, I think I think the world needs to be. And I, and I, you look at a place like Pakistan, where I have some friends, but they are unable to say anything remotely critical of Islam on their Facebook because they know that uh, saying anything bad about Muhammad is a capital offense, and you have you know hundreds of people on death row because of it. So it's just sad when people can't express themselves freely and i hope facebook uh empowers people to do that so i like to as a final question ask people um either what they're working on today you feel free to plug a, a company or a, a product or something or e- even if not that what what excites you today like what 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 what's the new thing that 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 you're interested in The great thing about technology is how it helps leverage uh, individual aspirations. Uh, Zuckerberg was able to build Facebook because he had all this open source uh, software around as well as cheap hardware. And Facebook gets more powerful because we all have a supercomputer in our pocket. Uh, So I believe that technology is is a good thing as far as helping entrepreneurs do more with the very precious lives, the one chance we've been given here, right? Uh, And especially here in California, any dream is possible. So I'm trying to look at uh, different startups that I could participate in or advise or, you know, build myself because that's a bug that never gets old. It was very painful for me uh, about five years running my own startup and, and pivoting many times and in the end closing it. It was a very humbling and difficult experience, but I, I am confident, just like everybody else here, that that could happen again with a, with a more positive result. I think I regret that I never uh, looked enough at my users the same way Zuckerberg does and really tried to serve, so I hope next time I will. I think education is a real opportunity in America. I think that, you know, this Chan Zuckerberg initiative is doing personalized learning plans for, for people to uh, let students go, go at their own pace through the standard curriculum. I think that there's uh, things like nextlesson.org, uh, which lets um, students uh, get really excited about, say, the math or reading lessons they have by introducing real-world content into the math lesson. So, you know, you'll be uh, taking a certain math uh, part of the curriculum and doing baseball statistics against it or pretending that you have uh, uh, your own app launched and these are the metrics, you know, and you have to calculate it based on the, the math lesson that you're working on. So I think, I think kids could get just so much more excited about their own real world potential. You have teenagers doing TED Talks. You have... Uh, people who win the Intel science competition, uh, having invented real products that change the world. There's uh, one guy who invented a a new form of carbon capture, uh, got accepted into an Ivy League school, deferred for a year to go work on that in Texas with some engineers. I think I read about that. So just the the ability of of anybody to, uh, especially young people, to 
learn more and more quickly and immediately apply it to real world problems that that are becoming more approachable every day you know uh, i i'm so excited about that now my personal part in that is i'm i'm kind of you know middle aged now so i i'm taking various online classes and staying current on platforms and languages uh looking for a way that i could be helpful to the world or to a team but i think i'm hopeful that people my age can still be a part of this you know uh i'm amazed at what young people can do with their energy and their speed um but uh, at the end i also see that i have um things i could offer to to a team or to a world problem and i hope that people my age who might be listening to this also feel that we can leverage ourselves and that we can still make a difference uh, because we really understand i think more what the world needs and we're less likely to fall for a fad we're more likely to have a balanced perspective on uh you know uh what really could make a difference versus just seem like it could so hey i'm pretty good at uh, at uh, identifying fake news <laughs> Well, listen, you know, part of what you're talking about um, contributing is uh, contributing the the lessons learned from the recent past. So that's I, I want to thank you, Carell, for coming on the show and doing that today, remembering all that for us. Um, and Brian, I really want to thank you for uh, capturing Internet history while it's still possible. And I think what you're doing is really important. Oh, well, well thank you. And, and good luck with whatever's next. Thanks, Brian. If this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, please subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice. There's plenty more great internet history where that came from. And if you're a longtime listener, then you know what to do to help us out. Rate and review us on iTunes. Because iTunes gives credit to reviews and ratings, and the more great reviews we get, the more people will discover us. As always, there's more info on our website, www.internethistorypodcast.com. The show's Twitter handle is at NetHistoryPod, and my personal Twitter is at BrianMCC. Thanks for listening.